Welcome to Murder Avenue. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Patrick Michael. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is going to be a fun one, going to be an interesting one, because much like the last episode, this is something that I didn't know really anything about. And I got turned on to it by another podcast, and of course, uh, it just made me invested in this case. And believe me, from start to finish, you're going to be a, a little confused. But once you get to the ending, you're going to be even more confused. So thanks for joining me here. But anyways... Got a lot of new people listening to the show, got a lot of new people hitting me up on social media, and I love it. You guys are fantastic. Just know, this show is for me and you, so participate as much as you can. Following, you know, subscribing, telling a friend, all these things are huge support, and it just means the world. But if you want to do more and you feel like donating even a dollar, anything goes millions of miles, just hit up patreon.com slash podculture. That's P-O-D-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. All the links for that stuff is always in the episode description. And don't forget, you can follow me. That's right, me. I'm the host. Follow me on Instagram at PatrickMichaelComedy and Twitter at I Think I'm Irish. All these things are great. It really means the world. Uh, but this episode is going to be an intriguing one. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be confusing. But overall, we're just going to get into it how we always do. So thanks for joining me. Let's do this, guys. Let's do it. Hold on. Okay, guys, so let's just dive right into this. You know, I don't like to waste too much time on these shows. I like to get right into the information and kind of make our, uh, you know, the conclusion at the conclusion. But as I said, this is a case that is very curious to me, something I was very intrigued by. And we did kind of find ourselves around New York last time, and this case is most definitely affiliated with New York, specifically someone from New York. And it all starts in the big the biggest state with all the big stuff you know that's what they say and it starts in uh, Galveston Texas but it leads us on a journey throughout the United States that is very curious and that's what we do here not only do we cover the weird crimes but we cover unsolved crimes and everything else in between and I'm happy to do so uh, this case here took me longer to kind of put together because I wanted to be more thorough and I'm happy that it did. I'm happy that it took a little longer. I'm happy that I put the time into it. It was kind of over like a three or four day period where I actually went through and, and did the research for this case. Now, of course, I'm gonna keep it fresh. I'm gonna keep it exactly the way that we've done every episode since the very beginning. We're not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna go too far off the path outside of the fact that I'm just gonna, we're gonna kind of 
quickly go over the location areas, uh, at least the initial location, and then just you know pinpoint some background of the, the victims and uh, you know the killer, possible killer, I will say, at least for now. But we got to get into it because uh, there's only so much time in the day, and I don't know what I just changed to an Irishman. Well, it's fine. Uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to do this. This is a this is a case that probably a lot of people have heard of and not one that I was too familiar with. But I will say, if it wasn't for certain other podcasters, uh, really just famous comedians who also have an obsession with documentaries, I probably would have never heard of this case myself. I would have never took the time out to do the research, and we wouldn't be here today recording this episode. So let's do this. Let's do it with another very interesting, entertaining show. As I said, starting out in Galveston, Texas. Okay, guys, so today's case actually begins and ends with a fellow by the name of Robert Durst. Now, some of you might recognize this name, especially if you're on the East Coast, because this is a offspring, uh, an heir, as they're calling him, an heir to what is known as a, a real estate empire. So his family got a lot of money. He's got a lot of money. His dad passed away before all this stuff happened. Uh, before it happened, uh, he, his brother was actually given the real estate business. It was his. Uh, he, so that obviously, I mean, he's, he seems, if you just look at a picture of this guy, I mean, even before this, before he's arrested, and you can just kind of see that there's something very dark. There's something ominous about the guy. But it doesn't get looked into until Galveston, Texas. And we'll talk about that more shortly, but let's talk a little bit more about Robert Allen Durst. He was actually born April 12, 1943. Uh, he's an American real estate heir, son of uh, New York City mogul Seymour Durst. Uh, he's the eldest brother of uh, Douglas Hurst, the head of the Dur uh, Durst, excuse me, uh, Durst organization. And there's a lot of speculation behind this guy and several murders. Not just one, not just two but three murders, one of them including a dismemberment where somebody is, you know, put in different pieces. And it's very strange because the person, let's just, I don't really know how we're going to go about this whole case because it's kind of all over the place. Without, all right, let's just talk a little bit more about Alan Durst, uh, Robert Alan Durst here. Uh, Robert Durst is actually one of four children that grew up in Scarsdale, New York, in a Jewish family. He's the son of a real estate investor, uh, investor like I said, Seymour Durst. And his mother is Bernice uh, Hairstein, it looks like. Uh, his siblings, uh, Douglas, Tommy, uh, Tommy, and Wendy. So three different, you know, relatives. Uh, his paternal grandfather was a Jewish tailor, and he emigrated. Uh, from Austria-Hungary in 1902, eventually became a very successful real estate manager and developer, founding the Durst Organization in 1927. Uh, Durst actually became head of the family business in 1974 upon his father's death. Now, that is his dad. Now, uh, when Robert was seven, his mother died as a result of a fall from the family's Scarsdale home. He later claimed that moments before his death, his father walked him to the window from which he could see her standing on the roof. And this is bizarre. Obviously, now, let me go back and explain a little bit more here. Robert uh, Durst was being looked for because 
uh, a person basically a body be uh, becomes found in the water and there's uh, black garbage bags surrounding this area and they are actually filled with uh, body parts legs arms one of the arms is actually snapped off instead of like cut or what have you this is gonna be grim guys so just put your seatbelts on but um yeah this this guy uh, Morris black he's found uh, they identified him they basically go and try to figure out locate this guy see where he's at and he's staying in like this duplex type of situation or a place with uh, maybe one or two different apartments and one of those apartments next door is actually owned by some older woman allegedly uh, the paperwork was signed by some older woman and, and as far as the people that run the place know uh, they've only ever seen like a man they've only ever seen a man coming out on the balcony and whatnot so they speculate that hey maybe this is not his place now what did we say already Robert's from New York he's got a lot of money in New York but for some reason he gets caught up in Galveston, Texas. We're going to talk more about that as we go along. Now, he was actually married. Now, let me explain a little bit more about this before we go into Robert's uh, life life. Um, his mother, now this is something that he depicted in an interview where he talks about his mother passing away. And it's an alleged suicide slash fall. But according to Robert, his dad did come and take him out of his room and show him his mother standing on the roof it's like hey check out your mom and keep in mind he had to lift his son up to show him his mother out the door out the glass pane right uh, window that's on the door so he's showing him his mom and said look at this look at what your mom's doing rather than stopping her which is really odd that's the first thing you have to wonder like why didn't he try to do anything to stop her instead he's just like hey check this out well, she proceeds to fall off the roof, and she dies. It's a very large house. They're wealthy, so they got money. It's a big house. They, she falls off of a very tall distance due to the fact that it's such a large estate. It's not just your average two-story home, or even a two-story home would probably kill somebody depending on how you fell. But to be a, as young as he was, I believe he says he's seven years old when this happens, and he sees his mom fall off this roof, and then it's basically depicted in the news that she fell instead of jumped and that's something he has to deal with as a young man as a as a young adult and into his i'm sure into his adulthood had to have an effect on you had to how could it not i mean anybody who's in that in that position that particular position would feel the same way like why what happened and it's going to haunt you for the rest of your days uh, Durst actually attended, like we said, Scarsdale High School, where classmates described him as a loner, which is fine, dude. There's nothing wrong with being a loner. Uh, he earned a bachelor's degree in economics. Uh, he was a member of the varsity lacrosse team, a business manager of the brown and white student newspaper. So he's a, he's a prominent dude throughout his young, his young years. Looked like he had a, a, a very bright future, you know? It seems that way. But, you know, things keep getting getting crazier, and we're going to talk about all those right here, so, you know, stay with me. Uh, on April 12, 1973, Durst's 30th birthday, he married Kathleen McCormick. Uh, Durst actually divorced her in 1998 years after her disappearance, claiming spousal abandonment. Now, what 
that right there sentence should be making you question a lot of things. He divorces her after eight years of her being missing. So eight years go by and he's just like, well, I have to divorce her because she hasn't came back. It's weird to think that that is a, I, I don't know, I guess because I've never been married and having to go through that situation where you're like, uh, w because the, every time you hear about divorce, there's always a reason why. They have to have a reason why, some sort of a reason. And I didn't know that that could be a reason, just spousal abandonment. Like she left and just didn't come back. So I think we're good, right? Because then it's like, how is she going to sign the papers? Or he, whatever the situation may be. Uh, on December 11, 2000, shortly before, uh, a person very closely connected to Robert ends up being killed. Um, he marries again to Deborah Lee Charton. Uh, the couple actually briefly shared a Fifth Avenue apartment in 1990, but have never lived together as husband and wife. So that's weird. Uh, Durst once told his sister that it was a marriage of convenience. He wanted Debbie to be able to receive his uh, inheritance, and he intended to kill himself. So as you can see, there's definitely some, like, hey, what's wrong type of thing. Like, things going on inside of him that it, it's showing itself, and no one's really taking the necessary steps to help him, you know, get away from the situation. Uh, in the early 1980s, Durst owned a series of, of seven Alaskan Malamutes, each named Igor, which according to his brother Douglas, all died under mysterious circumstances. That's scary. Uh, in December of 2014, prior to the airing of the documentary, talking specifically about this, it's a six-part series, I believe, six-part, but it is available on HBO. Uh, Douglas told the New York Times that in retrospect, he now believes he was practicing killing and disposing of his wife with the dogs. So he's kind of admitting right there that he was killing the dogs. Uh, Durst once recorded saying he wanted to Igor Douglas. And that's what's crazy. His brother actually does go out of his way at a certain point. Once uh, it seems as if Robert here is AWOL, he ends up hiring like a security team, a bodyguard or something like this to, because, to protect him because he was afraid of his brother. And that's crazy crazy to think especially when there wasn't anything that really happened yet nothing nothing too specific outside of the fact that his his uh wife went missing she went missing now let's go to uh the galveston situation here that really gets robert wrapped up uh, like i said there's a torso found near the beach uh, where the trash bags are also located with body parts in the bags uh, galveston texas is the location there's a Detective uh, Cazales, who said that he had never had a torso found in the area like this. Uh, a newspaper was also found around this area. It was uh, around uh, September 2001 when this was all going down. Uh, an address on the newspaper leads to the building I was talking about where there's apartments for rent. And the woman who allegedly lived in the one apartment was named uh, Dorothy Siner. Uh, but she was never seen. They actually paid the rent for this place for the for a year in advance so right there you got to be like hmm well that's as soon as they start talking about this evidence I'm like okay well this is that's pretty suspicious I mean just to, to think that I mean to connect it with the murder had nothing happened and there not been a murder not super suspicious I mean hey the guy paid his rent uh, the woman or guy paid his rent in advance I'm not gonna bother him that's great that's a lot of money probably I don't know $800 a month you think give or take didn't, it wasn't a great place, and there wasn't really anything inside. 
but they end up searching the apartment and they do find footprints in the kitchen and they end up basically cutting up a, a good part of the linoleum and finding a blood stain that matched to Morris Black. And I'll tell you right now, that's a cool ass name. R.I.P. to the victims, of course, but that is a badass name. Morris Black? Sounds like a Harry Potter villain or something like this, but here's what here's the craziest thing is the the guy who was killed i don't think he had uh what, what would be the purpose he was like 70 something years old and you're gonna kill him for what what's he got for you what can he do for you right he's 70 years old you probably didn't know him at all uh actually nothing actually suggested a woman lived in the apartment as i said uh she was and also they claimed okay this Dorothy person allegedly claimed that she was mute and traveled a lot. So a mute woman who is obviously retired and old uh, is traveling a lot as well. And it just all seems suspicious to the police. And that's good that they understand. Like, they're able to catch that stuff as early as the average mind. Um, they end up uh, searching the trash, and they find another receipt that actually says the name Robert Durst on it. So they get, there's more evidence, right? We're heading in the right direction. We're going in the right direction. We might find, We basically what I, if you were an officer in this situation, you would have to be thinking, well, this might be it. We might be finding it. We might be able to shut this down before it really even gets started. They end up finding a four inch paring knife and a bone saw and price tags. With the price tags on it, which they match to a specific store, which you know consisted of that receipt, and they basically, that's how they connect the Robert Durst to the four-inch paring knife, the bone saw, and the price tags. Uh, the eye clinic actually calls Detective uh, Durst because they find, oh, excuse me, I, I, I misspoke there. The receipt is actually says something about an eye doctor, and it's a, a appointment receipt, basically. And they end up basically, I don't know why I keep saying basically, guys, I'm so sorry. But they end up going to this doctor clinic, this eye clinic, and they say, hey, have you seen this guy? Have you, has anybody came in here by this name? And they say no. So basically what happens, damn it, I'm sorry. Uh, the guys, the detectives end up saying, here's our card. Call us if you see him or hear anything type of deal. And sure enough, within, you know, not very long, they end up running into the guy. Uh, they end up pulling him over. The officers end up pulling him over in his vehicle, and they find a bone saw in the vehicle. And they kept saying he didn't look like a murderer. He didn't look like a guy capable of murder. And that's a misconception because it's really just, it's no different than don't judge a book by the cover because it's in the eyes, man. You guys out there that enjoy true crime like I do, you know, it's in the eyes. Just look at the eyes. Really focus on the eyes. And you'll see their soul. Uh, there was a $250,000 bond put on him. And this is when you find out he is a very wealthy man. He has plenty of money. He literally just calls his wife for the money. And she had no idea about this apartment in Galveston. So what does that mean? Now she's a bit confused. The wife has no idea about this. Now she's wondering why is he there? Why is he in this area whatsoever? Now let's let's uh, reiterate some of these things here. Like I said, uh, Robert actually belongs to one of the richest families in New York. 
uh, he's suspected of killing his wife, who has been missing for some time up to this point. Uh, the family believed Durst killed the wife, uh, the family of the wife. Uh, nobody knew why he was in Galveston. There was no friends or family or anybody out there for him to have an excuse to be there. Uh, the family owns nine different office buildings. They were known to have skyscrapers. And uh, when Robert was actually due for court after bonding out, he didn't show. He ran. Which is a telltale sign of what? Guilt. Right? I mean, that right there in itself should be like, oh, well, fuck, he's guilty. Why, why would you run then? Especially if you can afford the best lawyers. Why are you running? He was also known to disguise himself even as a woman. He had bank accounts under different names, car rentals under women's names, not just different names, a women's names. And I would say that's pretty risky. If you're gonna, you know, fake your information, at least stay w with the same sex so you can be like, my name's Ralph, even though it's Jack. You know what I mean? Rather than, my name's Wendy, even though it's Jack. I'm like, dude, what? Okay, Wendy. Uh, like I said, other people had feared Robert. Even his brother had said how much he had feared him, had to hire a bodyguard. Now, they also said that he's not crazy. They say Robert's not crazy. He's diabolical. And that's just a way stronger word for crazy. And that's what I believe. I, I honestly, through what we've got so far, there's just too much evidence saying, your boy did it. Your boy's involved. And then you see the guy and you're like, you, then you think about the victim and what happened to the victim. You're like, that guy did all that? I mean, I get that the man was 71, but you can still be pretty spry at 71. And for this elderly man as well, to chop up another elderly man is just, it's diabolical. That's all you can say. What else would it be? That is crazy as hell. Uh, he ended up going to uh, the South Salem house that they keep mentioning, where the wife was known to have last been with him the south salem house she came to visit him and that was the last time pretty much anybody had ever seen her nobody's seen her since because what happened here is this person this body gets found in galveston and it, and it links to robert and then it starts to open up the idea of maybe he actually did kill his wife if he's willing to kill some random neighbor why wouldn't he have killed his wife that's been gone for this many years and never heard from by anyone they start suspecting. They're like, well, let's look into this wife thing. Let's see if he did possibly kill his actual wife. Let's see. So they start really diving into this. And Robert was actually arrested at 58 years old in a grocery store. Uh, 58 years old in a grocery store doesn't sound like a good time. Doesn't sound like, a, sound like the perfect place to get arrested. It's like being arrested at school. You know? Like these are my peer group in a sense, even though I might not talk to anybody here. Uh, I don't want to be putting handcuffs in front of everyone. It's embarrassing. Because now they're just going to speculate everything about you. And it's always going to be bad. Uh, two guns were also found. $38,000 in cash and weed. And what's crazy is Robert was arrested for stealing a sandwich, dude. He's arrested in this grocery store for trying to steal a Reuben. Okay? You understand how ridiculous that is? The dude had $38,000 in cash. He had over $100 on him. And he's like, ah, I'm going to steal a sandwich. I'm going to go ahead and steal a sandwich. But for us true crime buffs out there, we know what this is. We know this is a person who is feeling uh, guilty. They're feeling guilty. 
he was feeling guilty and he wanted a way to be back in the arms of law enforcement because there's a good chance, much like many killers, that he was in his own head thinking, I'm probably going to do it again. I'm probably going to do it again. So why not? Let's just save myself the trouble and get arrested on something small so that way I can just be off the streets. Otherwise, it's going to be much, much worse for me because you know what? I'm guilty. And like I said, dead eyes, man. This guy has dead eyes. There's many interviews with him and just conversations through court and whatnot. And you can see by looking at him, you're dead behind the eyes, guy. You're dead. What's going on? Uh, he seemed to want to actually be caught, like I said. Uh, there's too much evidence, you know, too much evidence saying, hey, you did it. Too much evidence saying specifically he did it. Uh, it's, like I said, it seemed like he wanted to be caught, and it makes you wonder, was this his first or last kill? Because like I said, he went and stole a sandwich. Maybe he was done. Maybe he, he just knew that it could it's going to happen again, so come get me. Uh, and the brother, like I said at the beginning, was picked over Robert to run the family business, and that could be pushing him more into depression and just being upset, I guess. And, uh, but it shouldn't drive you to kill. That's absurd because guaranteed you're still going to be taken care of the rest of your life. And like I said, the victim, Morris Black, he was actually he was actually 71 years old. And uh, the real estate heir, with that kind of money, he certainly could pay for protection in prison, right? And he'd buy a lot of noodles and honey buns. Having that much money, nobody has to worry. Like, I guess... From my perspective, I hear a lot of people think that sometimes life in prison is better. They should get life in prison. And that's fine. Get life in prison. But don't be allowed to have these, you know, eccentric amenities because you have money. How is that fair? How should you still be able to kind of live a lavish prison life? You know, you get your three squares, a, three square meals a day, but if you can pay for, you know jojo or whatever to protect you for as long as i mean you could start running shit in there right i mean ha it's having a bunch of noodles or honey buns that's cash dude that's money to these people and some of these people in prison and jails and whatnot they are desperately hungry <laughs> they're desperate in general but desperately hungry some of them want to eat more than that state tray there's not enough on there not enough nutrition especially the guys that are big and still lifting while they're there. They're like, I need as much food as I can get. Ain't got no money. What if I offer this dude protection or something, right? They start working out with him. becomes really awkward. But it, he could fully do it because he's got the money to do so. Now, uh, two expert defense attorneys that uh, cost Robert a million dollars plus, they actually hope for an acquittal. Which, that's got to be such a hard job to be a defense attorney and have to defend people that it's like, hey man, there's so much evidence. Like the lawyer has to go home and laugh to his wife. Like, this is absurd. There's so much evidence saying this guy did it or that guy did it. I, I, what am I doing? I'm lying to myself. But it's also, gotta, I mean, it's got to be hard to be a lawyer in general. But to be a defense lawyer for somebody that is so obviously scummy has got to be a, a just that much more difficult uh 10 years later this movie comes out called all good things starring uh kirsten dunst and uh ryan gosling and it's based on robert and his missing wife and that's what leads to the documentary that you guys can check out called the jinx and it's directed by the same dude who does the movie all good things and uh he's 
that's where the interview comes from for Robert. This movie is, I've never seen all good things, but I, I mean, I can't imagine that too much of it is off in the sense of like, oh, film versus what really happened. But it is kind of crazy to think that this story garnered such attention that huge actors like Kirsten Dunson and uh, Ryan Gosling portrayed them in a film. Weird, weird, weird. And if you if you watch any of these interviews and you look at Robert, he has this like tick. He moves around as if he's incapable of strenuous activity as well. He like blinks really strange and he walks around like he's just this frail, frail old man. Uh, like I said, the director of All Good Things is the one who made this film. It's his first interview about his wife and many other things. And he really does open up there and kind of give you more information. But how can you believe him? Because when it comes, to, like anybody who is a professional liar or a person that knows when somebody's lying, like they, they can read it, this dude has all the signs that say, I'm lying to you. Like I said, he has nearly, nearly black eyes. Like it almost looks like he, he has nothing but pupil. Could look straight into his black soul, black heart, whatever. But um, April 12, 1943, in New York City. Um, they end up, excuse me, let me just, I'm kind of mixing up my information here. I should also give a shout out to Sam uh, Morrill, who's a comedian, who's on the Burt Cast podcast, and he had mentioned this documentary. Now, I didn't mention after the mother situation how, how crazy life got for him after he lost his mom, because dad, he's working. He's doing a lot of work. He's not around, so he's not there for his kids. And that happens. And that's the crazy thing about money is it can really destroy relationships for many reasons. But he ends up living his life, and he runs away multiple times after the mother dies, and it just becomes more chaotic. He becomes more, uh, in a sense, attention-seeking is what I look, how I would explain it because you don't do those things for any other reason. I mean, it's not the real intention of, like, I want to get away from my family. It's, I want my family to pay attention to me. I want them to know that I'm upset, that something's wrong, and I want them to comfort me. Who else can comfort me better than the people that know me the best? And a lot of kids do this. We've all seen Dr. Phil. Now, the fact that his wife is missing and a neighbor is found dismembered, it made the investigation start with the missing wife. So they're looking into this, and they want to know what happened to her. They have to make this connection because, uh, really, the connection is going to lead to results for the for the wife's family they're going to be able to say okay well he did it this is what happened and it's closure to a certain degree and some families really want that uh, robert was constantly considered to be unfriendly and an oddball which that could mean many different things uh before kathy actually was last told to come to the south salem house because that's how the relationship worked she was told what to do uh, kathy was forced multiple times throughout her life uh, to call bob wherever she was like if she was going to a friend's house when she got to said friend's house she had to call him and say I'm here uh, she didn't actually want to meet Bob at the South Salem house and her friend was told by Kathy that it was the last time that she was seen like the, the friend her friend excuse me her friend is actually said uh, quoted to have said that's the last time I saw her or spoke to her because she was with her when she got the call, when she called Bob, was like, hey, you know, this is what's up, this is what's going down, this is where I'm at, and Bob's like, nah, come to the house. Now, if some, and she also was quoted to have said, Kathy was quoted to have said to her friend, if something happens to me, blame Bob. Uh, February of 1976, she was 
pregnant. And Robert told her to get an abortion because he told her from the get that he can't, he's not going to have a family. He doesn't want to have a family. And the mistake happened, uh, the mistake to them happened, and he made her get an abortion. So there was obvious resentment between that, between that because there's many bi- uh, di- uh, excuse me, diary entries from Kathy that say, you know, Bob hit me tonight. Bob slapped me tonight. He kicked me. He pushed me. It seemed like they fought over oddly menial stuff very often. Now, she's reported missing after four days. So there's many days that go between her actually not coming back and the report. Uh, the father and brother told him to avoid reporting due to the press. So Seymour and uh, that's the dad and uh, Robert's brother are like, nah, man, don't say anything yet. She'll probably come back. I'd wait. But yet he's like, what I believe, feeling so so much guilt that he has to like tell somebody in a sense. Hey, dad and brother, she's gone. We need to tell somebody and get her to start looking, someone to start looking for. Because these random killings like this or disappearances are just so, I don't know, odd. They're odd. It's weird, man. It's weird. It almost makes you believe in aliens, the possibility of, ah, there's aliens out there. Why? Because, I don't know, people keep disappearing randomly. Is there any evidence of any of these things? No. That's what makes it so weird. Okay, so during this interview, during the interviews that Robert actually does, and I believe this is the only one that he does with the director of all good things, and uh, he says a lot of stuff. One thing that is for certain is he lied about a lot of shit. He lied about a lot of stuff. And he was confronted with it right there during the interview. Like, he ended up telling the officers that he went to the neighbor's house and ended up having a drink over there. But the neighbors deny ever seeing Bob. But he says the reason he told them, he told the police this, is that he didn't expect them to check or the neighbors would just be like, yeah, he was here and it would make it all go away. He also claimed to call from, uh, to actually call Kathy from a payphone. He also admits to that being a lie. And here's the thing with crimes: if there's no corpse, no crime scene, it is a lot harder to put evidence or to say this person was doing this at this time. And here's how we know: if there's neither a corpse or a crime scene, it's probably the most difficult way to get a case. Um. Kathy was known to have wanted a divorce from Bob, but Robert obviously, you know, Robert Durst denies the divorce. He says, nah, we're not going to get a divorce because, you know, when you get that type of thing, there's a good chance that he was going to lose half of his stuff. Now, they do believe that Bob actually, or Robert, I should say, I like Robert better anyways, uh, he possibly moved Kathy in the trunk of his car. There's uh, calls from the laundromat. Uh, and uh, there's many different other signs besides the fact that the other kill, one of Robert's cohorts, I guess you'd say, not cohorts, but a person that was kind of helping him in the beginning named Susan Berman, who's an author. She allegedly had mob ties. She was the daughter of some mob guy. She was murdered on December 24th. 
there was an open door of her residence. They heard shots, and uh, the odd thing about this is she was going to be a possible witness for Kathy. She was actually going to say something like on the lo- along the lines of like, hey, you know, Bob, bad guy. She was going to be a witness for Kathy, and then she ends up dead. Uh, and it's also like, I have to say this because I don't want to be grim throughout the entire show. That's not what I'm about, but... Let's be honest, if you watch this uh, Jinx documentary, you'll see the guy who directs it, and he also directs all good things. How come he looks like a magician from, like, Milwaukee? You'll see. <laughs> but anyways, uh, alleged to be uh, writing about something big involving the mob time, uh, mob's time in Vegas. So they tried to basically say that Susan's death was the cause of something she was about to release in one of her books. And it had to do with something about the mob, the mafia, when they were in Las Vegas. So she was actually writing a book about the time, something going on in Las Vegas, and it was going to be huge. So they tried to say that maybe the mob or mafia had something to do with her being killed. But there was a letter sent to the PD, the police department, that obviously leads to them believing there's no way it was the mafia. Now, obviously, he's arrested. You know, he's been arrested for some time. He's in court. He goes through the whole trial thing. And like I said, the whole time, he looks like he's dead. Like, he's just not there. He's not... uh, He's not understanding what's going on. Or he is, but he's purposely, like, off somewhere else. He's drifted away. He's not participating in the case, particularly. And for the average true crimer, you have to be like, man, this guy looks so guilty. And as it seems... There's three different bodies that are linked to him, two of them for sure being linked because he was uh, he was out. He was out on bond when Susan ends up dead. He's out on bond when the interview goes through with uh, the director fella. You know, he's a free man, so they try to believe they they basically are saying that he also is uh, responsible for Susan's death. So not only are they saying that he killed his wife, who's still not been found. He also killed Susan, as well as the Morris Black. But it is a little bizarre knowing what we know now about Morris Black and how he was dismembered. And then Susan was shot, and Kathy's never been found. What's going on? We got an heir to a real estate fortune who's out there killing women and old men? And for what? Stealing a sandwich to ultimately get arrested for murders? It's a crazy thing to think about. But it is, to me, a clear admission of guilt. I'm going to steal a sandwich even though I have $130 in my pocket. I'm going to steal a sandwich anyways. Like, how? What? What? Of all things that you could steal, a sandwich? What if he wouldn't have got caught stealing the sandwich? Because he shaved his head, tried to look different. He was known to dress as a woman. He was known to use female identification. Would he still be out there? Would there be more bodies? Or was he? did he feel so guilty at that particular moment that he just had to steal a sandwich and get caught doing it? Because of all things you could steal, a sandwich seems relatively easy. So how do you get caught without wanting to get caught on purpose? That's the way it looks to me. But... Robert is sitting there. He's sitting there. He's locked up currently. He's an old man. 
So let's let's kind of uh, reiterate all the things we said. Uh, we got the possible murders of Kathleen McCormick, Susan Berman, Morris Black. Uh, Durst is the subject of a, he was actually the subject of a multi-state manhunt and was ultimately convicted of dismembering Black, but acquitted of his murder. Which that to me has got to be the most strange thing. Why would you chop up a guy that you didn't kill? Seems strange. So he's he's in jail. He's in prison for the dismemberment of Morris Black. But he's acquitted of his murder. What about the other two women? What's going on there? So many questions. So many questions. But this has been uh, Robert Allen Durst, you guys. Check out the Jinx documentary. It's very informative about this whole case. I haven't even seen the whole thing. But when you see the physical person that is Robert Durst on camera, you just can't help but to wonder. Like, this guy looks sinister. Well, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. What a crazy episode, as I said, to be to be put in prison. And you're there because you dismembered somebody, but for some reason you didn't get charged with murder. Gotta be bizarre. Gotta be bizarre. But as I said, he's probably got enough money to survive. Just even the worst possible things he could he could receive in a place like prison. You're right, he's got the, the hookup on... The sweets and uh, the grub, probably buying t-shirts, all kinds of great things. That is if he's allowed to get commissary, but I don't know. And also, who is he still getting money? Because the wife's got to be upset. She's got to be upset. She had no idea that he even had this other place. And then she finds out, oh, also he's he's killed other people, probably. There's a huge, huge, a lot of things pointing to yeah. But as I said at the top of the show, guys, don't forget, support the show. Support me, support what we do here, and help Keep making this show free. Leave the show free. I don't even know why people say that because I don't know how it could be monetized and make people pay for it after it's been free for so long. But then again, there is YouTube. And if you want to avoid the ads, you have to pay for it. It's ridiculous. I hate that. But anyways, uh, yeah, hit me up on social media, 187MurderAVE on Twitter. You can hit me up via email at murderpod at gmail.com. That's murder, P-O-D. And you can follow me personally at Patrick Michael Comedy, and I think I'm Irish on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yeah, easy to find. Links in the episode description. Subscribe, tell a friend, tell your grandma, tell your cousins, tell people you don't like. Even the people you don't like. Tell them, hey, chill out and go listen to the Murder Avenue podcast hosted by Patrick Michael. But until next time, everybody, this has been great. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back another time. But until then... Stay, unfasten your seatbelts, live your life, and prepare for the next episode. Otherwise, I can't tell you much else. Just live your life, mate. That's what you got to do. Goodbye. <laughs>